So the rest of this time together, and we'll end by 9.30, is gonna be an overview of Zen practice. Um, I've offered you certain small tidbits of practice like mindfulness of breath, noting thoughts, loving kindness. You've been introduced to little aspects of practice in the, the app and, and the readings we've done, right? Um, and, and certain texts we've read like Gethin's book have offered an overview of Buddhism and practice. What I'd like to do is offer a kind of really succinct, accessible, overview of practice that's in a modern idiom, not a scholarly idiom. Um, I think it's really important and helpful once in a while to just like sort of say, okay, what's this all about? What is what is this thing called practice really all about? Because it's obviously more than just about following your breath. It's more than just about being aware of sensations. It's more than just working with difficult emotions, right? It's more than just loving kindness. How does it all tie together? Like, you know, what's the, what's the path look like? And what's the point? What, you know, um, so in the service of that kind of overview, I'm going to share a text with you, which I um, sent the PDF to you of by GroupMe and by email. So if it helps you to, you know, to read along when someone is reading a text, feel free to, but maybe if you don't need it, just save it for later so you can refer to it later. Um, I actually look at this particular text once every two or three weeks because I myself find it important and helpful to be reminded of what this whole practice path is about. Because you can get lost in the weeds, you know, you can get lost in like, oh, you know, um, that, that breath falling is going really well, or it's really hard or whatever it is, I'm going to focus on that, right? Um, and then lose the sense of what's it for? Like, what, what, why, you know, are we... Uh, practicing concentration or awareness or kindness, right? Um, and so even having done this for over 30 years, those kind of reminders are really helpful. So this reminder, what is our life about? That's the name of it. What is our life about? And, and meaning our practice life um, is written by an old, old friend of mine named Ezra Beta, who I met at um, the Sonoma Mountain Zen Center when I was 18. And, um, you know, kind of struggling, lost in myself, lost in the world. Um, and somehow find my, found my way to this, you know, Buddhist temple slash commune up in Northern California, Santa Rosa, California. Um, and, um, you know, they took me in. And one of the senior students there who had already been there about 20 plus years was named Ezra, Ezra Beta. And he and I just clicked. Um, became a kind of friend and mentor. And he has since become a Zen teacher who's published many, many books about Zen practice. And this text comes from the appendix of his first book about Zen practice called um, Being Zen. I recommend it. Um, it's, um, Ezra is known in Zen teaching circles as someone who makes Zen practice really down to earth, really accessible. He was actually a philosophy major at Rutgers um, before he started Zen training. Um, and he actually, you know, was about to go to grad school in philosophy, but he actually found philosophy too philosophical, too abstract. Um, he wanted something more down to earth, um, more actually like experiential, you know. Um, so, uh, 
and and you can see that in his writing he doesn't he doesn't go for a really you know kind of abstract flighty theoretical constructs he tries to say what's actually going to be useful for someone who's suffering some who wants liberation someone who wants freedom from suffering now right um so it makes his voice really appealing to me and to a lot of people um so let's begin by just sitting for a few minutes and then what i'm going to do is read through this short it's less than a page text all the way through once without interruption and then i'm going to read through again but pausing to just riff on different lines or um phrases um, it's, I'm not going to try to do a comprehensive reading of this text, but just touching on certain things that I think are really key that will help us walk away from today with a sense of, oh, this is what like the whole thing kind of looks like when you think about it at once. Now, um, when he says, what is our life about? I want to make sure that you understand he's not being programmatic and he's not being prescriptive. He's not saying this is what one's life should be about. He's sort of saying, from the point of view who's someone, of someone who's doing Zen practice, what's this life about? But he would be the first person to acknowledge, for some people, this may not be the life they want at all. It's like when you do that contemplation on mortality and priorities, that's in the Joan Halifax text, which I hope you do at some point this week, you may discover you have very different priorities based on the fact that your life is finite, right? You may realize, you know, at the end of a long life, what I want to have, experienced and accomplished and known what I want to have felt doesn't include Buddhism or meditation or Zen at all. Um, and to each his own, this is about agency and freedom. So I just want to make clear that no one is like, he's laying a trip on. He's saying from the internal subjective point of view of someone who's on this path, this is how we might understand what it's about. That's it. If you don't see yourself in this path, that's totally all good. Okay, so please just, um, if you haven't already done so, get in a comfortable position. Some of you may be lying down on your beds, wonderful. Some of you may be sitting up in a chair as I am now. And just bring your awareness to the parts of your body that are touching whatever is supporting the weight of your body. So if you're sitting up, that could be your feet on the ground, your buttocks on the chair, your lower back against the back of the chair, the seat. If you're lying down, it could include the feel of your head being supported by the pillow or just your mattress. It could include the feel of your arms being supported by the bed as a whole. Just please feel the gentle, soft pull of gravity on your body and feel how whatever is beneath you is supporting holding the weight of your body. 
Tune in to the sounds in the space around you. Perhaps the sounds of people down the hall starting to get up. Buildings often creak as they wake up in the morning. Perhaps you hear traffic in the distance. Perhaps you hear a bit of the sound of your own breath in your throat, your nose, your chest. And now please bring your awareness to the inside of your nostrils. And just feel the sensations of the breath as your breath passes through your nose in and out of the body. Feel the lightness, the coolness of the breath. as air passes through your nostrils. And as you continue to feel the breath, please also stay open to sounds in the space around you. And then finally, just add also a gentle awareness of the sensations in your hands. Feel if there's any tension in the palms of your hands. How does the air of the room feel on the skin of the backsides of your hand. It may be hard to keep your awareness on both breath and hands at the same time. And if it is, it's okay to toggle back and forth once in a while. Feel your hands, then feel the breath. Perhaps once in a while, you'll discover that you can hold both and maybe even also sounds in the space around you all in your awareness at once. And whenever thoughts pull you away or emotions or some distracting sensation pulls you away from breath, hands, and sounds, just notice what has pulled you away. And if you like, you can label it like thinking, itchy, itchy, achy, achy, and then come back 
to breath and hands. I'm going to begin reading now. Please feel free to continue. In fact, I encourage you to continue maintaining a soft awareness of breath and hands as I read so that this listening isn't so much the way you listen to like a text that you want to analyze, but just let the ideas wash over you, see which ones stick, and then we'll talk more about it in a bit. So this is called What Is Our Life About? Written by Ezra Beta. And it's the epilogue to his book, Being Zen, subtitled Bringing Meditation to Life. I'll read it through once uninterrupted and then read through again, pausing to discuss. Our aspiration, our calling, our desire for a genuine life is to see the truth of who we really are, that the nature of our being is connectedness and love, not the illusion of a separate self to which our suffering clings. It is from this awareness that life can flow through us. The unconditioned manifesting freely as our conditioned body. And what is the path? To learn to reside in whatever life presents. To learn to attend to all those things that block the flow of a more open life. And to see them as the very path to awakening. All the constructs, the identities, the holding back, their protections, all the fears, the self-judgments, the blame, all that separates us from letting life be. And what is the path? To turn away from constantly seeking comfort and from trying to avoid pain to open to the willingness to just be in this very moment, exactly as it is. No longer so ready to be caught in the relentlessly spinning mind. Practice is about awakening to the true self no one special to be, nowhere to go, just 
being. We are so much more than just this body, just this personal drama. As we cling to our fear and our shame and our suffering, we forsake the gratitude of living from our natural being. So where in this very moment do we cling to our views? Softening around the mind's incessant judgment, we can awaken the heart that seeks to be awakened. And when the veil of separation rises, life simply unfolds as it will. No longer caught in the self-centered dream, we can give ourselves to others like a white bird in the snow. Time is fleeting. Don't hold back. Appreciate this precious life. So Ezra wrote this text on the eve of his 50th birthday as a reminder to himself, and not actually primarily to others, but as a reminder to himself about what his deepest aspirations were, what his sense at that time that practice was. Um, I, have, I found it very resonant and it's the reason I've shared it often with others that's why I'm choosing to share it with you. I, I find that it is the most succinct, powerful encapsulation of what the whole path of practice is about. What is our life about? Um, so I'm gonna read through again, but pausing over um, particular lines or phrases. If at any po point during this discussion, you would like to pause and ask something or for clarification or for elaboration, please do. This is a time when I want you to feel totally welcome to jump in. There'll also be time, depending on how much is left after, for there to be you know, questions and, and comments afterwards. Um, but please feel free to interrupt, okay. Um, blue hand, I'll look up occasionally at the screen or just unmute and, and interrupt. Our aspiration, our calling, our desire for a genuine life is to see the truth of who we really are. And one thing I'm really interested in here is um, this idea of genuineness. I think that the concepts of genuineness and authenticity um, showed up in a lot of um, response papers last week. Um, when the reading was in Natalie Goldberg, especially the free writing, people feel like they were able to get more in touch with their true selves or their genuine selves, with their authentic selves when they free wrote. 
And one of the things that I think we discussed at least one and maybe a couple of the discussion groups is, is the interesting tension between um, seeing writing as practice and writing as something that puts you in touch with your genuine self. At the same time, writing as practice and practice as being something that helps you see through the illusion of the self. Like, isn't, that, isn't there a kind of paradox or tension there? And I actually think it's not a real tension because I think that practice in, in, is not about getting rid of yourself. Um, it's not actually about, um, you know, because, you know, emptiness again is not about annihilation. It's not an avoid. That's just a Western way of thinking about what emptiness means. Um, that's why Thich Nhat Hanh translates emptiness or shunyata as interbeing, because it just means no separate self. But for that very reason, there is still a self, but that self is profoundly interconnected with everything, inter is with everything else. So um, I think that free writing and meditation practice can actually put you in touch with your authentic or genuine self. Because what's actually happening is it's softening the grip of all of those kind of identities or pictures of ourselves that we've glommed onto to, to give our, our lives stability. Like, okay, I'm an athlete or I'm a good student or I'm a, I'm a, I'm a rebel or I'm a really spiritual person, or I'm this or that. We have all these ideas and sometimes, you know, way like more fine grain than those. Those are big, you know, all these ideas of who we are, right? Um, and then social media, of course, feeds on the kind of marketing of the branding of the self. So what's your brand? You know, what, what, what are the qualities that you have that make you you, right? We, we identify with all these things. And meditation practice, like free writing, loosens the grip of all of that. It doesn't get rid of it, but loosens and softens the grip so that actually we can see something that is almost like in the, the crevices and then in the interstices between those concepts that we hold on to, those ideas we hold on to. Um, and so there is a sense that we're actually getting in touch with something more genuine, more authentic that's actually been obscured by the um, ego ideals that we've identified with, um, the identificatory patterns um, so, so I think genuineness actually is deeply part of the path. You can become more yourself as you be, realize more the emptiness of yourself. It's like, it's not a paradox. It only seems it. Um, also, I think aspiration is a really key term here because I think we can, you know, think of practice as a goal oriented, we can have expectation of what practice will do. And then I think it can be frustrating because it doesn't, fulfill our expectations. We don't meet our goals and we go, oh, why isn't it working? Why is it doing this, right? Aspiration, I feel like is a word that, that really beautifully labels this deeper sense of direction or calling. You know, our calling, our aspiration, our calling. Um, what's, what, kind of, what kind of life, what kind of being do you aspire to? Not what kind of life do you expect? Not, what's your, what, not what are your goals, but, and I think it just, it, it it brings up a different range of energies um, that uh, if you have an aspiration for the practice life, frustrations, setbacks, they're all, they all can be seen as part of it, part of the journey. If you just expect something from practice, then you're either gonna succeed or you're gonna fail. It's a different way of thinking about um, what it is to be set on this path. 
Uh, and then that the nature of our being is connectedness and love. I know this can sound cheesy. And this is, I think, you know, this is not the way that an ancient Buddhist text would talk about it, but it is, I think, what those ancient Buddhist texts were getting at. Um, that practice allows us to wake up, experience, not just understand, because anyone can understand this, but to experience our deep, essential interconnectedness with everything else. Um, it is something that takes years of practice. Um, it's not easy, um, but this is what it's about. So, you know, when you hear people say like, you know, be with your anxiety, be with your fears, you're like, why? I mean, I, if I can cope by pu pushing them away, why not? I mean, it's worked so far, right? First off, I would offer that even if it's worked so far, it may not work forever. Um, so, but in any case, I think the deeper reason is not because it won't work because people can just muscle it out and cope in all sorts of ways for long periods of times. We have seen very old adults, right? Coping in ways that we can see clearly are not so healthy. Um, but, you know, the ego is powerful and it can fight up until last minute. And it's actually one of the reasons why death can be so hard for so many people because if you have, if you've coped and repressed and gotten through by voiding all your life up until whenever it is that you face, have to face the fact that the game is up, all of that is just pent up, right? Waiting to come out. And so, um, and it can be really, really hard. Um, so Buddhism is often described as practice for death. It's because it's partly learning something other than those coping mechanisms of repression and avoidance and all that sort of striving and achievement, achievement, all this stuff. Um, and so, and it allows us to experience this profound interconnectedness, which is also something that is profoundly healing. Because of course, one of the things that's most terrifying about death is the sense that my separate ego is just gonna be annihilated. It's not gonna exist anymore, right? And if you, that's all you think you are, that ego, then of course it's gonna be terrifying. But through practice, you can realize that actually, yeah, there's this ego, the storyline of me through this particular life, but there's something much bigger than that, the awareness, right? What is the awareness? that is able to notice thoughts, be spacious around even terrifying feelings, right? It's bigger than the ego. And we come more and more to realize that that is our true nature and to become more identified or more at home in that space. So we can see the drama of the ego and not be identified with it. And so it actually becomes like, you can even see like, you know, oh, there I go doing that kind of like reactive thing again, right? Oh, there I go, you know? Um, and, it, and things that would at previous moments in your life completely derail you, maybe for a week, just can't even get a grip, right? You can actually genuinely smile at. It's insane, it's possible, okay? The other side of connectedness is love because of course the experience of this interconnectedness um, it's not just like some abstract 
theoretical notion, but suffused with actually the visceral experience of that connectedness. And that's why people have often talked about it as love. It's why um, most world religions talk about love as the ultimate core truth of reality, um, the love of God. Um, different religious traditions have different idioms for this, but I think they're all pointing to the same thing, um, which is this profound sense of belonging, this sense that regardless of the dramas in my personal life and in the world that must be addressed, there's also something deeply okay at the same time. Actually, I've, you know, you, you hear teachers talk about this, there's this kind of like this double vision, right? You see that there are shit that needs to be taken care of. There are fights that need to be fought. There's the struggles that need to be undergone. Yes, and energy needs to be put in that direction. At the same time, there's also simultaneously a deep sense of perfection. Um, okay, so, the reason, of course, that we don't experience this connectedness or love is because we cling to this illusion of a separate self, right? Um, and so it is from this awareness that life can flow through us, the unconditioned manifesting freely as our conditioned body. So this unconditioned, that sky-like awareness, right? Manifesting freely as our conditioned body Emptiness is form, form is emptiness. There are two sides to the same thing. They're not different. And that's why when Ezra describes the path of practice, he describes it this way, which a lot of people go like, what? I don't know, that's not what I signed up for, right? But what is the path? To learn to reside in whatever life presents. To learn to attend to all those things that block the flow of a more open life. To see them as the very path to awakening. So, you know, I think a lot of people sign up for meditation, you know, do it because they say they want to get away from the things that block the flow of a more open life. They want to get away from their identities, the self judgments, the fears, the blame, right? All that stuff. They, the whole point is like to put, to, to get over it, right? But first of all, that just doesn't work. Um, anytime you try to get away from something, you're just feeding it more energy. But actually a deeper reason not to try that strategy and to see practice as doing something else is because the path to being free of all these things that cause us suffering, those things that block the flow of a more open life is to actually be with them, to attend to them with care and curiosity. And you can actually see that those things aren't nearly as substantial as you originally thought they were when you so claustrophobically identified with them, right? When you think you are nothing but your identities, when you're nothing but all the mental constructs you hold on to, when you're nothing but the shame that you hide in your in yourself and don't let anyone see, or the fears, the self-judgment, all that, then they seem very, very solid. <laughs> they seem like all that is, right? And maybe, and you're sure as hell not gonna let anyone know about them if you can help it, and you don't even wanna acknowledge them to yourself. But practice, this path, encourages us to attend to them with curiosity and with gentleness and with care. And through that turning towards them rather than away from them, 
you see into their true nature, which is insubstantial, empty. All dharmas are empty, as the Gethin text you know, quoted some of the most ancient Buddhist texts as saying, all things are empty. There's, you know, so why of all things that be empty of the universe, is everything empty but that secret shame you hold on to, that's that self-judgment that you hold on, right? But the way to see something is not to avoid it, which just makes it seem more solid, but to attend to it. It is a movement that our culture is doing everything to convince us not to make, right? Turning towards what's uncomfortable, turning towards what's painful, turning towards what causes us distress is exactly what everything, social media, advertising, commodity culture, everything is encouraging us not to do. So um, this path, to use another ancient Buddhist image, is really a path swimming against the stream, against against the current, right? Um, and it's why a lot of people end up not wanting to do it. But it is the path to the freedom to the freedom from those forms of suffering that um, are never gonna go anywhere, no matter what kinds of achievements we accomplish, what kinds of material pleasures and comforts we secure for ourselves, because we carry them wherever we go, right? That, old, that kind of cliche, wherever you go, there you are, it's true. And what is the path? To turn away from constantly seeking comfort and from trying to avoid pain, to open to the willingness to just be in this very moment, exactly as it is. So this is what we've been practicing, just attending to the breath, then noticing what thoughts come up, noticing what sensations come up. And when a distressing sensation comes up to stay with it with tenderness, with care, right? Just be with it. No longer so ready to be caught in the relentlessly spinning mind. Practice is about awakening to the true self. No one special to be nowhere to go, just being. And I love those last three lines, no one's special to be, nowhere to go, just being. Um, in the Friday afternoon session, um, Mariella um, quoted a meditation she'd been taught many, many years ago, but imagine yourself as a newborn baby and, and just reminding yourself that you had value, you had worth just for being then not for having done anything. And yet we somehow so quickly adopt this sense that what gives us value, gives us worth, gives us meaning in the world is what we do, right? What we accomplish. We have to become something special. We have to go somewhere special, right? Um, and of course, doing things is wonderful, especially when those things are helping others, right? But we forget that we don't have to do anything to have value and to have worth, that just being is enough. Um, and so it's just a good reminder, right? And again, it's also practice doesn't make us special. It's about letting go of our desire to be special in any way. Um, We are so much more than just this body, just this personal drama, as we cling to our fear and our shame and our suffering, we forsake the gratitude of living from our natural being. 
So where in this very moment do we cling to our views? Right, and that's it, moment by moment, just like, where am I clinging? In what way am I right now clinging to a particular perspective? Which is identifying with this idea, this expectation, that desire, right? This sense that I need to be like this. Um, so it's just, and it's not about getting over that. It's about seeing the ways that we cling. The freedom from attachment, clinging, and suffering is not to push it away and to stop doing it as if like we can be better at being human. We can like find the right way to do it. It's rather just to be aware of the ways that we cling, that we avoid, that we repress, that we are attached. Awareness alone, just being with our experience as it is, that's all it takes. It's so simple. It's incredibly simple. And yet also, most of the time, incredibly difficult. Softening around the mind's incessant judgment, we can awaken the heart that seeks to be awakened. Um, and I think that the heart that seeks to be awakened, right? We can awaken the heart that seeks to be awakened. This is one of those paradoxes, right? It's like, there is a part of us, I think, always that knows, even when we are deeply identified with the ego, right? With the smallest version of ourselves, there's something more, this unease, this anxiety, the sense that there's gotta be more, that this cut offness, this sense of separation, this isolation, this fear, right? This walled off experience of the ego that I have is not, cannot be all there is. And the heart, that's, that's our true nature, aspiring, seeking its own awakening. You know, the ego never wants its own dissolution, right? That's why it's gonna fight it. Ego death in meditation is just as frightening as death, ego death through corporeal death, right? Um, because the ego wants, if nothing else, to live, to survive. And yet there's a part of us that isn't just that ego that wants to know more. And that's how we, I think, end up on these paths. Because if it was just ego, why would the ego ever even let the thought of this path arise, right? It's like, what? Um, but there's, it's because the ego can't ever actually achieve full total control because it's ultimately a construct. No construct can be perfect, right? I think it's actually something worth remembering about society. There probably is no form of repressive society that can also achieve total control. Um, Theodore Adorno, a great critical theorist, once talked about the totally administered society. Like imagine if, if a repressive regime achieved total control, which would actually mean total control of our psyches as well, because it's not enough to have total control of the physical environment. It's actually a fantasy in a certain way, right? It's not possible. There's always gonna be some part of us that remembers dimly and strives for, aspires to freedom, right? Liberation, um, art, culture. It's, there's always been this. People who have said there's gotta be more. And when the veil of separation arises, life simply unfolds as it will no longer caught in the self-centered dream, we can give ourselves to others 
like a white bird in the snow. This is so key, right? Once we are no longer so caught up in the self-centered dream, so identified with our egos, naturally what one wants to do is to help others. Not because you wanna be good, because that's just another identity, like to be a good person, to be a do-gooder, right? To be an altruistic person, to be a philanthropist, all this, all that stuff. That's just more ego stuff. This is about giving other to others because you don't even see them as fully other. It's like left hand helping the right hand, all aspects of one unified reality. And that's why you give yourselves to others like a white bird in the snow, a, a bird that doesn't stand out, right? It's, it merges into the background, not calling attention to yourself. So this is another version of no one special to be. It doesn't make you a good person. A good person doesn't think of themselves as a good person. A good person just does good for others whenever possible. Time is fleeting. Don't hold back. Appreciate this precious life. So in one way, like everything I've been saying is true, whether we're awake to it or not, right? It just is a nature of reality. Um, so one could imagine saying, you know, well, why bother? First of all, because there's a lot of suffering. And, but of course one has to, um, I think, be bothered enough by one's own suffering to want to help oneself. Um, but then I think another way of putting this is just that we have this precious opportunity. The whole universe is interconnected. And yet we are this really interesting, weird outcropping of the universe part of the universe, a little a branch of it, that's able to have self-conscious awareness of its own identity with the universe. We are a part of the Milky Way that's able to come to self-awareness of its own Milky Wayness, right? We are part of this one unified reality. Um, to even be exposed as possibility is precious and rare. And I think that all Buddhists you know, traditions have emphasized the preciousness of this opportunity. It's not one, therefore, that one has to take. There is no prescription, no should, but it's just an attempt to remind people that we have a special chance to not just think about these things, but to experience them. So that's since 9.30 now. Um, I'm happy to hang back if anyone has any questions, but also there are discussion sections this week where um, if anyone wants to um, explore some of these ideas further, please feel free at any time. Also one-on-one -on -one conversations if you ever want to have one like on the phone or somewhere or in person. Be well, everyone. Um, I hope you have a wonderful week. <laughs>